you know, I really wanted to just spend some time focusing on Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. It's not about the candy. It's not about the eggs. You know, we have an Easter egg hunt coming up this Saturday, all right? But we're not doing it because we like to give away candy. We're doing it because we like to give away Jesus. And if people will come here to get candy and we get the opportunity to give them Jesus, that's a win. And so we're really excited for that this weekend and just hoping that God's going to do some awesome things. Uh, But I want to focus on Jesus because he's the I am. He's the great I am. And, And he's this gift that has been given to us. But it's also kind of a confusing time for our world to try to understand who Jesus is and, and why Jesus, why worship Jesus, why does this matter, uh, you know, and, and especially, and I'll get more into this later, among all the other religions of the world and ideologies of the world, why Jesus? And I want to start here in, in John chapter 14. You can be turned there in your Bibles if you brought your Bible. If you didn't, we've got Bibles in the pews, and you can read through one of those or on the screens. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you have your own Bible or tablet or any of those things, these are some verses you want to underline or highlight in your Bible because they are so significant in our walk with Jesus. And so this is, these are Jesus' own words that he's speaking in John chapter 14, 3 through 6. He says this. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, I just want to pause there. Jesus has been with his disciples a long time. He's been teaching them. It's kind of one of those moments like when you're talking to your kids and you expect them to know what you're talking about. Here's what one of his kids says. No, we don't. We don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus probably like, hey, Okay, let's start over again. So Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father. Can you say no one? No one can come to the Father except through me. This is an incredibly bold statement and, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the, there are four top religions of the world today and why Jesus is the, is the one that we choose, why Jesus is who we serve. But even in this time, in first century uh, Greek and Roman culture, where polytheism is all over the place, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments too, but there are all these different gods, and it's the time of Greek mythology of Zeus and, and Artaxerxes, I don't even know the names of them, but you've heard of all of them, and all these things that are being worshipped all over the world, and Jesus steps into the middle of that arena And he says, all these other gods that you've been worshiping and all these other things that you think are the thing, none of them are leading you to heaven except for one, and it's me. What a statement, right? And so why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Because we're living in a world where it's become more and more prevalent to think, believe, and even share that all religions are the same. They're all leading to the same end. They're all worshiping God. They're just calling him by different names. They're doing it through different means, but it's all the same thing. And and friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, they are not the same. And my primary goal for you when you leave here today is that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're, they're not the same thing and you have to make a decision in your heart as to whom you're going to serve. But I want to do this with two thoughts in mind. Number one, you might be here this morning and you've got questions. Maybe you're legitimately in the place of like, uh, you know, I hear about all these other religions and I got to be honest. I mean, why do you think that Christianity is the right one? Why do you think that Jesus is the right one? Can I tell you, I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad for your questions, and I'm so glad that you're seeking and at least trying to find answers for your life, and I want to speak to that. The second part is this. 
Maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I've got friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and I meet strangers and I would love to tell them about Jesus, but if they start bringing up other religions, I'm going to be like, I don't know, go talk to my pastor. Okay, we're going to do better, right? We're going to do better. But I want you to be equipped because Jesus has called you as ministers of the gospel to go out into the world and reach lost people. You, every person in here, think about it, just look around this room right here. If every person in this room could affect a circle of influence of only five people in their own lives, think of how much the church of Jesus Christ could grow in one year. Just five people for every one of us. But that's what God has called us to is this equipping of the saints. So why Jesus? I want to start with uh, a really famous theologian, if you will, a, a Christian theologian. His name is C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever hear C.S. Lewis before? Great philosopher. Um, you know, not one of those like high pie in the sky kind of philosophers, really down to earth. But he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. I would highly, highly recommend it if you've not read this book. Very practical information, but he says something about Jesus that I think is so important for us, and I want to read this for you. It's a little lengthy, but it's really crucial for us. So here's what he says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, where you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We are in a world that wants to promote this idea that Jesus is just another good teacher among good teachers. And what C.S. Lewis was really trying to get into our thinking here is this. If you end up in a service, okay, let's just put this into real time, real play. If you go to church service some Sunday morning and the preacher, male or female, stands up and says, I am the son or daughter of God, run! Don't wait until the service is over politely. Do not sit there and wait to see how that pans out. Run! Because that person is a lunatic, There is one son of God. You couldn't be a good moral teacher and claim to be the son or daughter of God. And he says, listen, this is the only thing that we can come to the conclusion of is that Jesus was either a lunatic, a demon, or the son of God. We we can't accept that he's a moral teacher. That's not even possible. He either has to be who he says he is or he's a complete nut. I don't know about you. I believe that he is who he says he is. I believe that he is who he says he is. But I want to look at this because why Jesus? Why does it matter? I want to give you some, some information here. I'm going to throw a lot at you. Uh, as we sometimes say, it's like drinking from a fire hose. I'll give you the best that I can here before we jump into some scripture. Around the world, the top four religions. Christianity, 2.4 billion. Woo, we're winning. <laughs> I don't know. I had caffeine. I, I can feel it. Did you miss Mark the decaf? Like... Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, great statistic as well. You know, if you've ever run into people, it's like, how many people go to your church? You can be like, 2.4 billion. 
That's impressive. Then next is Islam, 1.9 billion people around the world. Hinduism, 1.2 billion people. And Buddhism, 0.5 billion. If you add that up, it really doesn't add up to a whole lot. You're talking about 5 billion people in the world. Uh, We know that there's 8 billion. There are just a lot of other people, groups, and cultures that have smaller, unorganized religions or no religions at all. And uh, Buddhism, honestly, which we'll talk about in a second, actually is a non-deistic religion. But a couple of things here. As far as deities go, and this is, I want us to see the separation. I want us to see the difference. Christianity believes in God, the Father, Jesus, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. Islam believes in Allah. And I, I want to speak to this for just a second because to be fair, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism are what they refer to as Abrahamic religions, meaning they all trace their roots back to Father Abraham. However, as we'll see here in just a second, there is a major difference between the God of Islam and the God of Christianity. They can't possibly be the same God. They're two vastly different. So different, different things that they're approaching. Hinduism um, has all kinds of different gods, but they don't really believe that their gods are for them or helpful. Um, they, to be honest, they're more like demons, if you will. They have little spirits that oversee every single thing, the Brahma, the Vishnu, the Shiva, uh, and they have a God that they call the Brahman, which is, they're like, this is the God who created everything, but we have no idea who he is. We'll talk about that in a second, too. And then Buddhism. Buddhism, as I said, is a non-theistic, non-deistic religion, meaning there is no God in Buddhism. Buddhism is simply about finding your center in the universe and being at peace with all of the universe. That's all that it's about. There's no God to pray to, no God to save you. So then when salvation comes into play, what does that look like? In Christianity, we are saved by grace through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. In Islam, you live strictly by Sharia law. If you do not obey the law, you do not go to heaven, you go straight to hell. Even if you do obey the law, there are nine levels of heaven, and it's going to determine on which one you get to. In Hinduism, Moral living in harmony with the universe and karma, okay? And again, just to kind of lump the two together, Hinduism and Buddhism, which both believe in reincarnation, all right? How you lived your life is going to depend on how you come back. My guess is my dog must have been an idiot in the last lifetime. I I don't know. Some of you will get that later. You go and you are reborn, you are reborn. But here's the the central concept between Hinduism and Buddhism is this idea that life is nothing but perpetual suffering. And that the only means to escape that suffering is to master that suffering in such a way as that you finally no longer exist. You finally die. There is no heaven, there is no hell. We'll talk about that too. But I want you to see this here because there's no overlap, all right? We've got in Christianity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, no Allah, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, and obviously the non-religion. In Islam, we do not believe in God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. As we said a second ago, uh, Islam just believes Jesus was a good man, a good moral teacher, right? But no belief in the anything else. In Hinduism, not God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or Allah, it's all these other things. And in Buddhism, nothing. There's no overlap whatsoever in what they believe. In the ultimate being in Christianity, and this is where the separation begins. I know I'm going fast, but I want to get into my scriptures. In Christianity, we have God the Father, who is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and relational. This is totally the foundation of Christianity, is the fact that God wants relationship with you. In Islam, we have Allah, who is singular, distant, and unknowable. 
Meaning, in Islam, God does not want relationship with you. He wants to be completely separate. He gave you his rules, his laws, and you just got to live by them. In Hinduism, Brahman, as we said, the ultimate God, we don't know who he is. And then Buddhism, there is no God. And then lastly, the ultimate ending. In Christianity, we have heaven or hell through Jesus, the grace of God covering our lives. Islam, we have their, their heaven, their hell is Jana and Jahanam, Jahanam through your works, depending on how you lived your life. And then in Hinduism and Buddhism, it's the final death to end the suffering cycle. These religions are nothing alike. And I wanted to take the time to point all of this out to you because this ideology that all religions are the same and pointing to God through different ways and different means, it's not even possible within each one's construct and theology for them to coexist. We're all pushing for that. How many of you have seen that wonderful, beautiful bumper sticker that says coexist? I struggle to not hit the gas pedal a little harder when I see that. (laughs) Sorry, coexist. So there's this moment in which Paul, in a place called Mars Hill, is speaking to a group of people. And they're living with this same tension that we experience in our world today regarding religion. This is when polytheism is at its height. Greek mythology is at its height. And and Paul goes to this place, and this is what he sees. In Acts 17, verses 22 to 23, it says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed the men as follows. Men of Athens... I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He's speaking to them. He says, listen, you've got all these other things around you, but there's a God that's something inside of you. It still tugs at you. There's a God that we don't know. There's a God that we don't understand. And I want you to know who he is. This is the God that I preach and his son, Jesus. Now, listen, I I know that for us, there's this distinction and we can kind of pull back and we're like, well, we don't have shrines all over the place. You know, that's, that's weird that they would have shrines. However, We have shrines in our world, okay? You have shrines in your world. We've got the shrines to the Steelers, the shrine to the Broncos. That is a wasted shrine. The the shrine to the Browns, even worse. (laughs) People in Cleveland don't even root for them anymore. We've got shrines to entertainment, We've got shrines to movie actors and actresses, and, and we've got shrines to people. Listen, if, if Jesus doesn't return, thousands of years from now, people will study our culture, and they will think we worshiped entertainment and money. The evidence will point to the fact that we worshiped entertainment and money, and they will sit around in circles like we do now, trying to piece ancient history together, and they'll be like, we found evidence that they worked tirelessly to attain green paper. We can only assume it must have had some mythical powers because they worked day and night and sold themselves and did all these ritualistic things for this green paper. This is the world that we're living in. This is the world our kids are growing up in, your grandkids are growing up in, your neighbors are growing up in. This is the world where we have shrine after shrine to thing after thing. Listen, we've got five big screens in our home and a Bible tucked in a junk drawer. What, what are we worshiping? Right? 
We've got, uh, we, we say we can't afford to give to the Lord, but we've got Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get real here for a second. Okay? What are the shrines in our lives? And it's in that same kind of setting where Jesus steps into the scene during polytheism and He would step into this moment for us just as well. And He walks into all of it and He says, you've been worshiping all these things. But I'm telling you right now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. You worshiped everything else. And, and listen, let's, let's just even think about that for a second. When you go back, you can't name half of the gods that they worshiped in Greek and Roman mythology. Where are they today? Why is Jesus still around? Why? Because there's only one name that has power. There's only one name that heals the broken and the diseased. There's only one name that sets people free. And that name keeps surviving year after year, decade after decade, millennia after millennia because there's real power in it. And every other God that every other culture has ever worshipped continues to just fall off the scene. And Jesus keeps standing saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. All these other religions, Islam, didn't even become created until 700 years after Jesus went into heaven. Listen, Islam happened because there was a guy, Muhammad, you've all heard of him. He was fed up with life, irritated with his family. He left them behind, went into a cave and sat there depressed and prayed and said he got a vision from God that says God doesn't care about people. All he cares about is obedience and we've just got to obey and worship him. That's how Islam came into being. Hinduism, Buddhism, all these things, these beliefs, oh, maybe, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, all of it continuing. It rises and falls, rises and falls, but the one thing that remains is Jesus. So why do we believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life? Because nobody else has ever proved it the way that he has. Nobody else has ever died and rose from the grave like he has. Nobody else has ever healed the sick like he has. Nobody else has set captives free like he has. Nobody else has healed anything in the way that he has. And no one offers us the means to relationship with God like he does. Every other religion of the world says this, it's all on you. Religion's just about you. It's about your obedience. It's about your ability to get it right and to do it right. God doesn't care about you. He just has his rules and you can either live by them or die by them. Nobody cares. But there's one who says, I love you so much that I would send my one and only son to die on the cross for you. I would put not even just the shame of being put on the cross, but the shame of him having to be covered in the iniquity of the entire world. I would shame him so that you could be with me. And it's to this very thing that Jesus speaks to. And, and I want you to hear this. If heaven is the goal, then Jesus is the only way to get there. There's no other way. You're not going to do it through works. You're not going to do it through following other religions. You're not going to do it through meditation and good works and thinking yourself there and positive thinking or whatever else you can come up with. Jesus made it so clear. And even this is too difficult for us because we sit back and we're like, I don't get it. How do, we, how, do we, how do we get to heaven? How do we please God? Jesus says, it's me. It's through me. We see this in which John 14, 1-3, right before Jesus spoke what we read earlier, He says this to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God 
and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Then he says what we read at the very beginning. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be with me where I am always. No other God that has ever been created or worshipped in humanity's existence has ever made that statement about you. There's no other religion in the world that says you are so precious that the Son of God would willingly die for you. There's no other religion in the world that says that. And Jesus makes so plain, he says, I want relationship with you. I want closeness with you. I'm so desperate for it, I would willingly go to a cross and suffer a horrendous death of persecution and humiliation because I love you. And he speaks to this, I'm going to prepare a place, right? And we're like, oh, well, he's going up to heaven to start building stuff. No. No. He already saw the cross. He already saw the beating. He already saw the scorn. And he already saw the shame. And he's speaking to that group before he goes to any of it. And he says, I'm going to walk a road soon. I'm going to walk a path soon. I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm going to be pierced with nails. I'm going to be put up and ridiculed. And I'm going to die to become the path for you to know God. And I'm going to do it because I love you. Tell me who else has done that for you? Who else would ever do that for you but Jesus? He's the way, the truth, and the life, church. And if you're searching... I want to offer you the promise of Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be there. I'll meet you there. You start looking, I'll meet you there. I'll show up. Because he loves you. Will you pray with me? God, if if we're honest, we don't really think a whole lot about how good you are to us kind of escapes our thinking the price that you've paid for our salvation how you gave of what was most precious to you to gain relationship with us and we didn't deserve it God and I just pray right now for every person in this room those who are watching us online God that you just begin to speak into hearts for those who are questioning who are wondering why Jesus Why is he the way? Why is he the truth? Why is he the life? Why can't it get to heaven in any other way than through Jesus? God, would you just speak so softly into their ears? Would you whisper to them right where they are right now? It's because I'm the one that actually loves you. I'm the one that actually died for you. I'm the one who wants relationship with you. God, would you speak that into the hearts and lives of your people today? God, would you plant it so firmly and so deeply in our hearts that we don't have to make the conscious choice to live it or to share it, but that it becomes so real and so alive and so powerful within us that we can't even restrain it. It just keeps coming out because Jesus is coming out of us. God, that's what a lost and dying world is looking for. 
Not for people who say they know Jesus, but for those who it's evidenced in their lives. They've been with Jesus. So God, speak that into us right now in Jesus' name. I just want to ask you as we're in prayer this morning, maybe you're here You've been searching, or you've been thinking, you've been contemplating. Maybe you've even had some times where you're just like, I don't know, I question the whole God thing. I doubt the God thing. I I don't know what it is, but I I want to find truth. I want to find real relationship with God. If if that's you, can I ask you to slip up a hand? Because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, "I, I want to live for God and I want to be able to share God with the world around me, but. I've got my own hang-ups. I've got my own worries. I've got my own frustrations. I, I, I don't know how to do this the way that it will do it justice. And I, I need God. We just slip up a hand? I want to pray for you as well. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close together in prayer? You know, on behalf of our, of our seekers and those who are questioning, those who are wondering, listen, I promise you this. And I can give it with a seal of guarantee because God said it of himself. He wants to meet you where you are. He wants to meet you where you are. Don't be lazy. Can, you, please, can I say that again? Don't be lazy. Don't sit back and say, well, if God wants to prove himself, I'll let him do it. You go find him. Because he said that if you're searching, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll show up and I will make myself known to you. And I want to pray that for you this morning. That if you're in that place of seeking and searching with questions and wonders, that God himself would fulfill his own words, his own promise to you, and show up in the midst of your pursuit and say, hey, I'm the real deal. And I also want to pray for those of you who say, I want to live it. I want people to experience relationship with Jesus. And sometimes I feel so inadequate to share that because I got my own hangups, my own issues, and I don't feel like I know enough. And what if they ask the hard question? I want to pray for that because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He gave us his Holy Spirit and his promise was this. He would fill your mouth with the words to speak in the moments when you have no idea what to say. So God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name for every person in this room that is searching. God, I lift up the searchers to you. I lift up the ones who are in question. Lord, I lift up the ones who are unsure right now, who don't know who you are, who aren't sure that you are the way or the truth. And God, I pray that you would light a fire under them, that they would begin to pursue you, not thinking that you're just going to show up and knock them over the head one day and knock on their door and beat it down to be in their lives. But God, that they need to be in that place of pursuing relationship to find who you really are. God, fulfill your promise. You said it. It was your words. You spoke it over your people in Jeremiah 29, 13. And you said that you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God, we hold you responsible and accountable for your promise. And we say, Lord, for those who are seeking, show up. For those who are looking, speak to them, God. Give them clarity. Show them you're the real deal and that nothing else matters. God, forgive us for all these shrines that we've built to everything else. Forgive us for all these other things that we've worshipped. Put our hearts and minds, fix them, God, on the way, the truth, and the life, the one in which salvation truly comes and the one by which there is no other way. God, I pray that you would speak to your people, those who feel inadequate, feel like it's just not inside of them they're not good enough they don't know enough that satan just keeps telling them time and time again they can't for whatever reason would you fill them with encouragement and more importantly would you fill them with your holy spirit 
run in and over and through their lives, overflow in them, God, so that they would have the confidence of the power of God inside of them that speaks on your behalf, that does not wait for the wit and intelligence of men to speak. God, we want more of you, and we call on you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be drawn deeper into into close relationship with you, God, to pursue you with all that we've got and to find the way that is everlasting. We love you, Lord. We love you. We can only do that because you loved us first. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We receive it as a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, go and seek Jesus. Go seek him. Chase after him with all that you've got and find him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you need prayer this morning, our prayer team would be up here at the front and would love to meet with you. If you're visiting, Pastor Matt and I would love to meet you out in the foyer. Have a blessed day and glorify God.